Join me, Dr. Cathy Weston, for my podcast series, Get a Grip, brought to you by Tooled Up Education, the home of evidence-based tips on parenting, family life and education. In each podcast, I help unpick some of the trickier questions relating to how we raise children today. How do we talk to children about mental health? How can we make sure our children engage safely with the digital world? Whose responsibility is the mental health education of our children, teachers or parents? These podcasts get me talking and you thinking. I've reached out to today's thought leaders and main researchers in this area and asked them their views on the areas where we need to get a grip. Deirdre Butler is a professor at the Institute of Education, Dublin City University, DCU. Her passion in life is exploring what being digital in learning can mean and what skills or competencies are needed to live and thrive in today's complex globally connected world. Deirdre is internationally recognised in the field of digital learning, particularly for the design and development of sustainable, scalable models of teacher professional learning. She consistently works across a broad range of stakeholders in education, technology, government, corporate and non-profit sectors. Deirdre played a key role in developing the Digital Strategy for Schools 2015-2020 in Ireland, as well as the recently launched Digital Strategy for Schools to 2027. Currently, Deirdre is a member of the EU Expert Group on AI in Education and is the Expert Advisor to the Irish Department of Education and Skills as they implement the Digital Strategy for Schools to 2027. Dr Paula Lehan is an Assistant Professor in the School of Inclusive and Special Education, a graduate of the B.Ed. in Education and Psychology programme at Mary Immaculate College Limerick. Paula started her career as a primary school teacher in a developing school in Dublin. While working as a primary school teacher, she gained extensive experience in the areas of digital education, literacy, assessment and inclusive education. During this time, she also completed a graduate diploma in Special Educational Needs, GradDip, SCN, and a Master's in Additional Support Needs, MED, ASN, with University College Dublin. While on career break from her school, Paula worked with DCU's Centre for Assessment Research, Policy and Practice in Education, CARPE, where her work focused on various issues in assessment and test development in educational and workplace settings. She received funding from the Irish Research Council, IRC, to complete her PhD in the field of digital tests and assessments for post-primary learners. Welcome, Paula and Deirdre. How are you both? Great. Yeah, good. No problems at all. Well, it's lovely to meet both of you. Tell us what inspired you to research the potential impact of game-based learning in schools. I think it's important to acknowledge that we actually first started this process of investigating game-based learning in 2019. And at that point, we had been getting a lot of preliminary research about, you know, the massive increase in game-based learning and the use of games by primary school and secondary school age children. So, for example, in Ireland, we have this really big study called Growing Up. Ireland and there's over you know a huge number of children involved over a number of years it's a longitudinal study the equivalent of what the Centre for Longitudinal Study does in the UK and they found that 81% of nine-year-olds in 2019 were playing games online every week and I suppose that's when we kind of first became really interested in it and then like most things the pandemic happened and changed everything. 
And because of the pandemic, there was suddenly this huge drive towards online platforms and online environments. And what happened was that a lot of teachers began to investigate and explore the use of digital games that were freely available and kind of incorporate them into their online learning activities as a way to kind of get their learners motivated, get their learners involved using equipment and resources that they had already sort of encountered. So, you know, we started in 2019 and then the relevance of the work kind of really then changed in 2020. And now everybody is sort of interested in the use of digital games to support learning. We were just a little bit ahead of the curve a little bit. So Paula, a lot of parents listening to this might be alarmed to think about Minecraft being, you know, that they're familiar with at home being used in school. What is Minecraft Education Edition? How does that differ from the platform our children might use after school? So in terms of the Education Edition platform, you know, there's huge similarities between it. It looks the same. It's the same sort of processes the kids are doing, much of the same activities. But the the key difference there is the role of the teacher. And the Minecraft Education Edition allows the teacher to have a lot of control over being able to organize the different learners into different parts of the world. But also the Minecraft Education Edition allows us to have a lot more extra features that support communication and also assessment. So things like the camera, things like the portfolio, the things like chalkboards to encourage the children to communicate their ideas, to justify why they are doing something all those sorts of activities. There's also availability for non-player characters or NPCs so that the learners can record themselves describing what they have constructed. And again, the teacher has a lot of control in this online environment to direct their learners towards specific activities that are aligned with particular curricular goals or outcomes. So it's not really that the platform has a huge number of differences it does but it all comes down to the role that the teacher plays in it in designing high quality learning experiences and sort of presumably scaffolding those conversations with their sort of professional knowledge which sounds amazing how popular is it in schools okay so minecraft is is particularly popular around the world we have had so far And some of these numbers will already be outdated. So there's been 200 million sessions of Minecraft out of code. There's been 200 plus hours of STEM curriculum developed from the online platform for Minecraft. There's been 10,000 plus educators developed in over 100 countries. And there's been 100 million downloads of education content in the Minecraft marketplace. And that indicates about 700 plus standard-based lessons across 12 subjects. So I think that sort of captures how popular it is. In addition to that, like we have had 24% of students in Australia have learned something with Minecraft Education Edition and different programs. And there's been 350,000 people watched a Twitch stream of a Minecraft Scholastic eSports event. And here in Ireland, we have had the Ireland's Future is Mine, where Minecraft and Microsoft and our RTE Junior, we worked at the university here, we worked with them as well. And they developed this Ireland's Future is Mine topic. They offered licenses to teachers. 800 teachers applied and downloaded 120 licenses each. And the focus of it was Ireland's Future is Mine. So to develop your community in a sustainable and accessible way. 
we were blown away by what the children actually developed. And then there was over 200 projects. They were a province winner was a, was awarded. There was semifinals. They were out in the dream space. These kids had to design something, develop it, and then come out to the dream space and in 90 minutes construct the world. Wow. I was looking at them in amazement. And what was really fascinating was the coordination. The children had planned it, researched it, developed it because they had to give a presentation about the world. They also had to be able to explain exactly what each feature was. We could actually talk to all the children so it wasn't just the builders. Different children had different skills. They contributed in different ways. And the four builders that were going to build the world in the 90 minutes, all the rest of the children sat behind them. There were four coaches appointed. And then they actually went head-to-head in the semifinals. And then two schools went head-to-head in the finals. And that's actually available on, if you just search Ireland's Future is Mine, you can actually see the six, there were a series of lessons developed by the DreamSpace, Microsoft DreamSpace, to support teachers. There was a teacher's booklet. And there's also there, you will actually see the final. There's a there's a short clip about the semifinals and everything else, the journey to the final. And then the final is amazing. It would blow you away how the kids actually engage. That's all up and available if you just search Ireland's Future is Mine. We will, we will. And Deirdre, it sounds like game-based learning is very, very impactful from what you've just said. Is that what the evidence shows? Yeah, and I'll, I'll put you back to Paula now in a minute. What's really important and sort of evidence-based from us is the fact that prior to this, even working with developing this other piece, the white paper on Minecraft, we actually, as a college here, we looked and worked with our own students in fourth year because we developed a game-based module for our students in fourth year. Now, they're pre-service primary school teachers. We developed close to 50% of the primary school teachers for Ireland, and we really felt this was important. What we're really looking at as well is the fact that majority of our primary school teachers are female. We wanted to see what the research looked like. And that small paper, we can send you the link as well, that actually showed that being involved in a game-based learning module for a short period of time that was very focused actually developed their understanding of game-based learning and how they could actually design very different learning environments for their students. I'll pass you over to Paula and she'll fill you in on some other details. Yeah, and Deirdre's study there kind of highlights the value of working with pre-service teachers if we want something to have an impact in classrooms to make sure that teachers have the confidence and that they're sufficiently skillful. But in terms of the impact of game-based learning on learning, there is some evidence in favour of it. So there was a meta-analysis by Aqua and Katz in 2020. And what they found in their systematic review was a very strong relationship between game-based learning and language acquisition. So a second language acquisition, it allowed the players to develop confidence and competence at a slightly quicker pace because they were encouraged by the game to get feedback on their language development. We have other studies by Wouters from 2013, who also did a meta-analysis, and Clark et al., who did another meta-analysis, and they found that using pairwise comparisons that there were positive impacts on the use of game-based learning when compared to more traditional approaches. But the key thing with that research is there that the evidence is there. What it's really lacking is specificity. We have these big studies that say, listen, it seems to be in the right direction. 
But what we really do need from the research is a slightly more specific focus of going, well, what's the best way to design the learning activities? What should we be thinking about? What order should some of these activities be coming in? Which features or which approaches align best with certain learning outcomes? And that's where the specificity in the research is sort of missing at the moment. It requires a little bit of granularity. And is that research ongoing now? Well, I might pass you to Deirdre there because Deirdre and some of her colleagues are involved in a really interesting study within the Irish context trying to address that research gap. So what we're trying to do, I have a postgraduate researcher working with me, Aideen, and she's working with myself and with the crew at Microsoft as well, and our research centre here, Carpe, at the Institute of Education. And we have, we're looking at trying to understand, as you say, the specificity, is there something we can really look at and at a granular level and try to see, well, does Minecraft this actually help this? So we've set up this, what we call creative space study. And it aims to support and investigate the development of students' spatial thinking and creativity using Minecraft Education Edition. And what we have found out is that spatial thinking and creativity are important skills for students' achievement in STEM education and STEM professions. But their importance can be very much overlooked. So Minecraft seems to be a promising tool for supporting the development of these skills. And the study is adopting a an RCT, that's a randomized control study, and it's one of the strongest forms of evidence that you can do in education research. So the participating classes will be randomly assigned to an intervention group and a control group, and they'll actually, the intervention group will complete intervention curriculum-based activities in Minecraft education that we've actually developed with the Dream Space team, and they're going to be a series of episodes as well that the teacher can use. And then we'll measure the creativity and spatial thinking in both groups before the intervention and after the intervention and a one month follow up. So that we've had huge interest in the study and that's going to start now. The pretests have gone out to schools and we should have that published early in the new year next March or so. Amazing. So innovative. Paula, I want to ask you about the specific potential benefits of game-based learning for the neurodiverse learners out there or children with SEN. Can you tell us a little bit about what you know in that area? What's evidence? Yeah. So in terms of, you know, the potential of game-based learning and Minecraft for neurodiverse learners or learners with, you know, really specific educational needs, there are some small scale studies that indicate the potential of these to support these learners in lots of different ways. So, for example, there's this misconception that, for example, autistic learners find it difficult to engage in social interaction and that they mean extra support. And by and large, that is true. But it's important to remember they do have that desire like everyone else does. And that's really important to remember. And what games like Minecraft and Minecraft Education Edition do is they they allow them to develop these relationships using multimodal ways and forms. So, you know, in the Minecraft Education Edition, you can communicate synchronously using chat or using a voice over internet protocol, or you can do it asynchronously with non-player characters or with your chalkboards. And what some researchers have found recently is that that supports learners in developing friendship skills, in developing communication skills in ways that kind of take some of the stressors that face-to-face communication skills may have away from them. So that's um, one really kind of specific example there that we found, and that would be Ox and Solomon, uh, Granick. All those small-scale research studies seem to indicate 
that, you know, that's a nice area that game-based learning can support neurodiverse learners in developing friendships and communication skills. There's another example that, you know, for learners who might be twice exceptional, who may have difficulties, but also really strong skills in the area of design or creativity, that Minecraft allows them the freedom to engage in, you know, really in-depth projects that are flexible, that are suitable to their needs and interests, while still allowing them to develop skills in social communication and those sorts of areas. So they're just two small examples of how Minecraft can support neurodiverse learners. For teachers listening, I'm always a big fan of teachers sort of embracing their own capacity to research things themselves without even being part of a formal project. So if they're listening and they're, they want to engage and dip their toe in this water with Minecraft or game-based learning, but the school hasn't adopted Minecraft education, what would you sort of suggest to them, both of you? Where would they begin on that journey of just exploring? So what I'd actually first direct them to is to build up their confidence and competence, because a lot of time teachers will say they lack the confidence or the competence to actually engage in this. And they don't have to be experts. Let's get that sort of, you know, away because of the fact that that stops a lot of people. If you saw the teachers and children who participated, as I say, in that Ireland's Future is Mine, we talked to the teachers at length. And most of them said that once they began to realize that their job was of learning designer, that's what they're good at. They understand the curriculum. They understand the skills that need to be developed. And they need to then trust the children that they have the skills in Minecraft. And the teacher's job is then to interact with them, to discuss. But what's helpful is if they go online, there's free online courses in the Microsoft Educator Center. And that takes you through step by step. You'll also get digital badges, you know, like micro-credentials. There's also then one-to-one professional development opportunities with the global training partners that are in different countries as well. So but that would be my advice. Go on to the Microsoft Educator Center, go through a few some of the courses, get just familiar and then say, OK, for example, if I'm trying to look at, let's say, the Vikings, how could I actually engage the students instead of drawing pictures about the Vikings and research and writing pieces about the Vikings? Maybe we could actually recreate a Viking village in Minecraft. Now there's real interest from the kids because say, wow, we're allowed to use Minecraft. Do you know what I mean? And then you can say as a teacher, now remember, you want to have this as authentic as possible. So you need to really research your facts because you can't use building materials that are not possible within a Viking world. And how did they interact and what size were they? And we had children that worked on it and looking at early Christian Ireland and they got really into what was the scriptorium? How big was it? They went to visit local sites. They recreated it. And there's that what we call this serious emotion, they're also invested. It's personally meaningful. There's a social sort of connection and emotional connection to it. And it's enabling all types of learners to actually build and work together. So you can actually get, you might be doing a Viking settlement. So you might be, you know, developing some of the dwellings and I might actually be doing the fire pit area. Now we really have to talk and discuss because we have to think about scale You have to think about ratio because I can't go off and build my big fire pit and then you come along, you build a tiny little house. Do you know what I mean? So we really have to engage and work with each other. We have to really engage in mapping skills. We have to look at it, map it out, decide where we're going to put things. So think of all the, not only historical, but there's mapping, there's geography, there's literacy, there's mathematics, there's communication, there's collaboration, there's problem solving, critical thinking all involved. So I say, look, 
take a chance, just get a bit familiar, trust the children. You're the expert on learning design and they're the people who have to do the learning. And I might just add in there as well, you know, there's huge resources already created and constructed available for teachers to download and modify to their own setting and their own learners so that some of that work you know can be removed and a lot of them are freely available on the Minecraft Education Edition website and again what Deirdre said is really important is that you know they can download these words and modify them to the specific needs of the learners in front of them. And that's really the key difference to Minecraft, a Minecraft education edition. It's the role of the teacher in using their expertise as a learning designer to maximize learning in that context. Just sort of unlocking the templates for them to be able to engage with that. Tell us about your 72 page report, which I read last night, your paper before we finish. I want to hear about it, Paula, and why schools might engage with it. Yeah, well, I suppose, so as I kind of said at the start, it was initially conceptualized in 2019 Mm. when we were kind of getting all these statistics about the value of game-based learning, just the the huge volume of games that people were playing in online environments and not just young people under the age of 18, people over the age of 18, that this idea of games kind of permeating throughout all levels of society And that's really kind of what got us involved in looking for the literature about it and becoming particularly interested in Minecraft because that was one of the more popular ones that we saw. Like, I know my nephew plays it. I know Deirdre has family members who play it. So we were hearing about it. And then we sort of engaged with the literature and looking for high quality literature to kind of support our understanding of it. And while we did find some of the meta-analyses, we did notice that, you know, that granularity, that specificity to help teachers specifically in their design of learning experiences for online environments with these particular types of games. So I know we've spoken specifically about Minecraft, but, you know, in our review of the literature, it's really the sandbox games that seem to be the most valuable. And these sandbox games have huge flexibility And they seem to be quite appropriate because they align really well with learning theory. So specifically, the difference between the games that we're getting now versus the games we were getting in the 90s and the early noughties. So those games are very much linear, very much you get to a particular goal, you practice your tables, you get there. And while there is a value to them, in terms of designing high quality learning experiences that can support all students, that can support a range of skills, particularly complex skills like collaboration. These types of games, these sandbox games where there's no one way to do anything are most appropriate. And Deirdre might speak a little bit about selecting those games and you know the value of constructionism as the learning theory. So for that, what we're talking about is the fact that as Paula referred to, the previous games are built very much on behavioristic learning theory you know, sort of stimulus response, get the right answer, off you go. Multi-level, so there was only one way through where we're looking for multiple pathways because not everybody learns in the same way. Everybody has a very different approach to learning. We all have different skills and abilities and we want to be, it needs to be inclusive of everybody. So constructionism is based on constructivism, which we're all as teachers very familiar with, that we build our own understandings of the world. However, constructionism is the development of that. It was developed by Seymour Papert who worked with Jean Piaget 
in the area of, of constructivism. And he developed it one step further, saying that if you develop something, a physical entity in the world, in other words, if you construct something, it becomes what he termed your object to think with. So when you have an object to think with, you can externalize your thinking, you can have a conversation with yourself and you can get feedback, etc. But more importantly, you can actually engage others in the thinking process and you can get multiple perspectives because other people can give you feedback and together you can actually develop your understanding. So it's more or less focusing on the social context of learning as well. So that's why these games are important. It's so innovative, imaginative, inspiring to hear all this. I think as the parent of a 13-year-old who's obsessed with Minecraft, who's a non-teacher, the first question is, how can we empower the parent to engage as well and and have a little bit of scaffolding in order to open up some of that thinking? Because a lot of parents will just talk about Minecraft as unnecessary screen time. I think we're really opening their eyes and changing their perspectives here. Are either of you aware of any sort of support on the parental side with opening up our eyes or introducing the power of Minecraft to sort of optimize learning? So that's why I, I sort of focused and, and talked about the things now. That's why we, we buddied up with a TV sort of company as well, so that the, these programs are available to everybody. Parents can sit with their children. They can actually see the power of what can be done and they can see then the type of questioning they maybe should be engaging in with their children. So when they build, maybe they're building a world and they might be building a world where there's different characters. You can engage them in a narrative. What are the different characters? Where do they live? Why did you build it that way? Why is that this size and this, this the other size? What about this world? How can I get from this world to the next? Are you engaging with other people? How do you get your understanding? Why did you build it that way? And what resources did you actually sort of research to find out? Children are amazing. They know who to follow on YouTube. There are certain key people to follow on YouTube. And when you talk to them and engage them in that conversation, they'll actually say, well, I follow so-and-so because they're very good at giving me uh, ideas about what to build. And I follow this other person because they're very good at the technical. They'll actually tell me about different things that I can use. And they'll answer, they have a forum that I can actually ask questions in and get good feedback from. So children will tell you all this, but I think it's that's the conversation to have with them is that you're extending and say, God, I'd love if you were able to actually understand maybe what the ancient Egyptians lived like. And then you can actually sort of seed that and they'll say, oh, I could build that world. Would you like to see? And then you sort of you know, take it off. And I think your work, your research gives us confidence that this is a, a positive place, a digital space to be in. And I really love the the link between Minecraft and learning. I think we've all got a lot to learn and some of this work is incredibly innovative. How can people on a practical basis, Paula, access teachers' schools, access the report that you've mentioned? So the white paper report is freely available online on the DCU website. It's also available on the Carpe website as well. We will obviously provide a link as well to the paper and also to some of those resources that we mentioned as well so that they will be available. Um, In terms of keeping up to date, you know, we have our own social media accounts. We have at Carpe underscore DCU. We also have at DCU IOE as well. And when um, that RCT and when those results are available in the coming months and years, that they'll all be tweeted about online and will be available to read. 
And again, any of the resources that we've mentioned are available online on the Future is Mine Ireland project, the Dream Space resources for teachers. So they're all available online. Wonderful. We're going to collate all of those for our tooled up schools. So thank you so much for that. And I'm going to obviously come back to you in the new year to find out what you found. And um, But thank you so much to both of you for all of your work in this area, two trailblazers. So thank you so much. And we are really excited to be sharing this information with parents and schools all over the world. So thank you so much for joining us today. Great. Thanks very much. Bye-bye, Cathy. Bye-bye. This Get a Grip podcast is brought to you by Tooled Up Education, the home of evidence-based tips on parenting, family life and education www.tooledupeducation.com Parents and teachers in Tooled Up Schools can also access notes accompanying each podcast available to read and download from the Tooled Up site.